You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Matthew Spandler-Davison. He's the VP of Global Outreach for Acts 29. Matthew, thanks for being on the show. Hey, good to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I've watched Acts 29 for the last handful of years, and so I'm excited to have you guys on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the ministry? Uh, most of our listeners are probably familiar with Acts 29, but in the event that they're not, why do you guys exist and what do you do? So essentially, Acts 29 exists to plant churches worldwide. So we are a, um, uh, we're a network of churches, truly global. Uh, we have churches all over the world, and uh, we exist to assess church planters, to train them, uh, to provide support to them, and then to see healthy reproducing churches uh, globally uh, that are theologically um, aligned with each other, uh, missionally um, connected to one another. And uh, and so, yeah, so we've been around for uh, close to two, de- two decades now. It's gone through different iterations um, mm-hmm. in this lifetime. And uh, but now it's it generally is a, a, a network of diverse churches that has a global presence. Mm, that's awesome. And what are some of the unique challenges and struggles you guys have experienced over the years planting churches? Uh, planting churches, I don't, I just, yeah, I mean, you can answer that question different ways in different places in the world, right. and also different different times over the last few years. But I think um, uh, certainly some of the challenge has been uh, just just resourcing church planting. Mm. Um, also, I think a particular challenge is recruiting. Uh, elder qualified, theologically um, uh, strong and yet competent uh, church planters. So a lot of some some people go into church planting with their own idea or concept of what church planting is, or their own aspiration for what they want to be, and it might not actually be may not be best suited for church planting, or uh, their their view of what a church is might not be accurate to what the New Testament speaks of what the church is. So a big part of it is just getting the right people um, and. Mm-hmm right support around those right people do so you find that the there's difficulties finding like what we see in scripture the harvest is is abundant but the workers are few that specifically you guys see that take place in the church planting community and the network that you're trying to develop trying to find people that would say yes to this well, I mean, there's a couple of things. That, so let me put it this way. There is the difference between church starting and church planting. So mm. church starting is when you take a group of people and you locate, you start gathering in another place and, you know, you kind of, it's like pop-up church. It just right. pops up, you know, you pop up a new church. And there's, it's not saying that's wrong. There's this benefit in that and this uh, growth that comes from that and this, um, uh, but church planting is, uh, is actually going to a place um, is, is, engaging a place evangelistically is missionally driven um and it that takes a certain kind of person certain kind of gift set um to lead that work well and so mm. yeah so it's a church 
planter is different than than a than a pastor. Um, but certainly, every church planter has to have pastoral sensitivities, uh, but also a very strong missional drive um, and evangelistic motivation for the work they're doing. So some people may may say yes to church planting because they want to be a preacher, or they may say yes to church planting because they um, they they you know have had a bad experience at their church or whatever. Um, and we're saying actually what we're looking for is somebody who's going to say yes to go and engage the unengaged, yes to go and reach the unreached, yes to go into a place. Um, where there's a desperate need for good, solid, healthy gospel presence. Mm. Now, are you guys, do you have a, a specific focus in unengaged, unreached people group locations or does, or not necessarily, how, how would you guys classify that or define that? Yeah, so uh, so specific focus is church planting, but that, so we'd say everywhere needs a church plant. So um, right. There's no, there's not gospel saturation, no matter where in the world you are. So there's always going to be need for healthy reproducing churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not to say that there isn't parts of the world where there's a, a particular need and a particular challenge to engage. Um, and so, uh, but the, I think one of the, the healthier things that Acts 9 has is uh, a strong, we call indigenous leadership or leadership from a, from a local area um, mm-hmm. or, Another way, another terminology would be cultural insider, somebody from a culture who's seeking to engage the culture. Um, and so our pipeline is much more about identifying um, cultural insiders, training them, assessing them, and then supporting them and helping them to become healthy reproducing churches in their context. Gotcha. Now, is that a requirement? So if me, a Westerner living here in Idaho said, hey, I want to go plant a church somewhere in Africa, is would I not be able to do that? Or yeah. in, you're just generally looking for somebody who's a national and a, and mm-hmm. aware of what's going on culturally because they grew up a, in it. Yeah, I would say it's a requirement because there's always going to be a need for somebody to cross a culture, to reach a culture. Um, mm-hmm. so that's always going to be obvious. Uh, but the, the preference is to mm-hmm. find somebody from as close to that culture as we can um, to, to train, to resource and to, Support and the benefit of being part of a, a, a global family of churches, network of churches, is that it's that that support base, that partnership base, that collaboration base to be able mm-hmm. to undergird that work. So rather than um, raising up and sending out a missionary and funding that missionary, our approach has been much more: let's identify um, somebody in an area, uh, whether that's Nepal, whether that's um, you know Guatemala or Brazil or Zambia. Let's identify somebody in an area. Uh, and let's assess them, train them, resource them, and build a, a support partnership around them uh, to see them become strong, healthy, reproducing churches in the area. Gotcha. Now, that segues into my next question. You're, you are part of the global leadership team of Acts 29, right? So can you talk about, uh, you've kind of already addressed it a little bit, but talk about your strategy for planting churches at maybe its highest level. What does that look like in practice? Uh, so there's no there's no particular model or strategy that we would necessarily deploy or um, but the the strategy that we have is our assessment process. So we want to assess a um, competent, gifted church planter, and so okay. we're going to find a, a, a elder qualified man who wants to pursue church planting work. We're going to put them through an assessment process. That assessment is going to assess their biblical convictions. Uh, their competencies, so their ability to preach, to teach, to lead, to evangelize, to uh, to raise up leaders, 
So the competencies that we consider are essential for church planting. And then also mm-hmm. the, um, uh, the character. And so do they have the character, uh, the biblical character for a church planting? So giftedness, uh, convictions, and character. So we're, we're going to put somebody through that assessment. That assessment isn't necessarily to, it's not a test for them to pass. Uh, it's more of a, uh, let's see what your weaknesses are. And let's see how we can support you to overcome those weaknesses. Uh, so we mm. want to partner with you on, on that journey. That, that can take a while, but that's, that's really the starting point for us is always that assessment for a church planter. Uh, and, uh, and then once they've been assessed and placed, then we provide ongoing coaching um, and training, kind of train towards some of those uh, weaknesses, whether it's theological or uh, competency uh, training. And then it's providing that support. Uh, the support can come in different ways. It can be financial in terms of church-to-church partnerships, or it could be uh, people, or it could be just be ongoing uh, training and development um, for them. So it's a very uh, intentional and long-term investment that we're making mm. in in that church planter. Uh, that so that if there's a model, that's the model is to c- come alongside the guy and let's build a strong support system around that guy. Okay. So you're not, it doesn't sound like you're following a specific CPM or church planting movement model, Right. more so maybe using some of those techniques and strategies or, or determining what's going to be the most effective strategy in whatever context that you're working within. Yeah. So the, the so the challenge I would see with the CPM model, it's, if we're going to call it a model, is that the, um, it's... Uh, at least my experience of, of it on the ground in various countries around the world is that it often leads to um, men who aren't qualified or competent to plant, to call themselves pastors who are leading churches that aren't actually churches, um, mm. identifying themselves as pastors of churches. And um, there's such a heavy influence or a heavy emphasis on the, the rapidness of mm-hmm. the approach, um, the rapid multiplication. Actually what you lose in the process is the carefulness so in, mm. in the new testament you see uh, both um a urgency but also a carefulness to the approach of church planting so when paul goes city to city he stays there a while he invests in his mm. people it's trained he gets disciples. he raises up leaders and then he moves to the next place so although there was reproduction and there's a level of urgency in the gospel work that's being done um so but it was still very careful, very deliberate, very intentional. Um, mm. So for us, that assessment piece is so critical. And I think that assessment piece is often what's missing in a lot of the, the CPM um, uh, structures where there's often a lot of emphasis on training. The training is more specific to particular um, uh, model or strategy rather mm-hmm. than ongoing discipleship, accountability, and assessment of someone's character and giftedness. So yes to missional urgency um, and a desire for reproduction, but mm-hmm. also yes to carefulness and assessment and accountability and ongoing support and development. So there's a there's an intentionality around the quality of, of what you're producing. Now, do you guys find opportunities where rather than pouring into one leader, mm-hmm. you might recognize like, hey, we've got a guy who's, specifically talented or has his skill set aligns with planting and another guy who is his skill set is more around preaching mm-hmm. and like congregational care could we team those guys up if they have interest in planting in the same location 
Yeah, so certainly um, that'd be something that we would see in certain places, certain contexts. Uh, the uh, the the assessment process will identify kind of gifts and also weaknesses, and then we'll we'll be asking those kind of questions. Who do you have in mind to kind of help you come alongside you um, mm-hmm. to help build out this team? Um, and you know what what support do you need to help develop and build build that team? So again, it's not a it's not go and sit this test and see if you pass the assessment. Rather, it's uh, it's, it's assess the needs, assess the the challenges, assess the opportunities, and let's see if we can build uh, on that through the support system that we can build around you. And that could involve, mm. um, uh, often people comes through through the the partnerships that we're developing between churches. Okay. Yeah. Now within that, both within the assessment process. So you say you guys like spend quite a bit of time with with the planters that you're you're training and equipping and walking along in this journey what does the disciple making process look like within that assessment Mm -hmm. process and then as those planters are sent out and start their churches what -hmm. does the disciple making process look like within those local bodies within those bodies yeah so within the with the church planter first thing we're trying to ask is are they are they themselves part of the help children um are they being sent out from a church did they are they under um authority and accountability to other local elders um and where that's not possible can we make sure that can we lead them to that so um uh, so we don't want to see somebody who's planting on their own as a lone ranger not under authority so this the first question we're going to be looking for is what does that accountability and authority structure look like um are they in a spiritually healthy place? Are they leading their family well? Are they shepherding uh, their their family? And, w- and the wife is part of that process, part of that assessment mm-hmm. process. So we'll be asking her some of those same questions um, about them as a family. Are they being well cared for? So it's this first thing. Uh, second thing is it's just the, uh, the the friendships that develop through the process. And you know when you're developing close friendships with other church planters or uh, men who have planted churches who are like minded. Uh, then that itself becomes a discipling uh, friendship and a disciple and a mentoring relationship that is incredibly valuable. And then once the church is planted and established, I think the uh, you know discipleship for us is I mean it looks different in every church, but certainly the primacy is going to be through the solid preaching of the word, uh, expository preaching, you know, teaching uh, clearly the word of God, um, uh, kind of the small group, um, ongoing discipleship and accountability leadership development, um, giving people uh, to creating leadership pathways uh, for people and helping helping churches to think through how to develop that in their own um, space as they have opportunity to do so. Okay. And how long usually when a church is planted before there's an expectation that that church starts to replicate and start planting its own churches? Again, it's, uh, it's so difficult. So we, because, um, so, so in Western Europe, that uh-huh. is very slow. So mm. some of the plants in in the UK, in France, in Germany, in um, Spain, and some of Western Europe contexts, that could take seven, eight, nine, ten years uh, before they really get to um, that that space where they're actively and healthily reproducing. Mm. In other contexts, maybe more um, Southern Hemisphere contexts in Latin America, that can happen much more rapidly um, when you've got get to a critical mass much more quickly in certain contexts in rural small towns um it's going to always be slow it's going to be um so yeah so we don't have one because we have 
uh, a lot of our church planters are in rural, remote villages. A lot of them are in kind of northern hemisphere, western context, where things are slow and um, in a radically secular culture. And a lot of our church plants in, in Latin America, in some sub-Saharan Africa, in some hemisphere, where they're seeing more rapid growth, but the struggle they, they have is kind of the resource development side of things, how to mm. resource that growth, how to sustain it healthfully. Interesting. Yeah, so no, it just kind of depends on what that context looks like. Yeah, and I don't think huh. there is a kind of one. So we so we are cautious not to set kind of benchmarks um, mm. around numbers, budgets, or timeframes that mm-hmm. are um, the same. You know, if you're in, you know, a big mega city, whether it's, you know, Bangkok, Thailand, or um, uh, Cape Town, South Africa, or uh, Rio de Janeiro, if you're in a mega city and, and there's a mass population, you begin, then things may happen at a pace uh, that is going to look quite different if you're in um, you know, the Guatemalan jungle or in right. the, uh, the Himalayas in Nepal. And so um, we have church planters all over. Uh, and so we're, we're careful not to set benchmarks around uh, numbers and budgets and timeframes, but rather um, I, I use terminology of mile markers. When you hit this mile marker along the road, then you know you're ready to move on to that stage. It may take you seven years to get there. It may take you one year to get there, but this is what you're looking for. Reproduce mm-hmm. your lead. Um, have uh, clarity of eldership, have um, uh, evangelistic conversion growth, um, have healthy discipleship structures, have leadership development pipelines in place. Interesting. Cool. Well, hey, let's take a moment to hear from today's sponsor. Uh, When we come back, we'll continue our church planting discussion with Matthew. Are you looking to grow your ministry but don't have the money or marketing knowledge to make that happen? There's good news. Google offers an advertising grant to churches and ministries that is worth $10,000 per month. This means that if your ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit, you are eligible to receive $120,000 per year in free advertising dollars. This allows you to place ads at the top of Google search results pages and drive thousands of visitors to your ministry website every month. Our sponsor, Click Nonprofit, helps your ministry acquire this Google ad grant and then manages your Google ads to ensure you get the most out of the grant. Schedule a free consultation at clicknonprofit.com to learn more about how this grant can help your specific ministry. Mention the Ministry Growth Show when you sign up to get 20% off your first three months of management. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. We've been talking with Matthew Spandler Davison uh, about Acts 29 and church planting. Um, And as we get back into the conversation, I've got a bit of a difficult question for you. Um, There was a study done about a decade ago that showed 95% of full-time Christian workers are working within the Christian world. So that means 5% of Christian workers globally are working to reach unreached people groups. So obviously that problem is not as simple as maybe that statistic makes it sound, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unreached, unreached and unengaged people groups tend to be difficult to reach for a reason, mm-hmm. right? And there are endless list of variables that cause that difficulty. But, and we've touched on this a little bit at the beginning, but how is Acts 29 working towards solving that specific problem or concern? Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't think it should be altogether surprising that statistic, um, the, the same could be said for the amount of money that's being spent. So about, I think the same 95% of the right. going towards um, kind of the evangelized or the Christian world um, or majority Christian world. The It's not surprising because that's where the Christians live. And so mm-hmm. uh, the, the Christian workers and the uh, Christian resources are going to be uh, 
uh, in the proximity of where the Christians are. And so that shouldn't be altogether surprising that that's, that's the reality. Uh, plus, like you've identified, there, there are challenges to, to uh, identifying, to moving, to um, mm -hmm. cross cultures and starting something new where, where uh, there is unengaged, unreached people. So, it's, so the statistic in itself is, is helpful. It's, it's a wake-up call, but it's not, it, it shouldn't shock us or surprise us that that's the reality. Right. Now, what's the response? I think the a, a helpful response, and at least our approach in terms of, and it's not the only response or the only credible response, but our approach is going to be to continue to do that we do is go and identify what's already happening in as close a proximity to the places we can. So in mm. Turkey, in, um, in Egypt, in Kuwait, in, um, you know, just, uh, yeah, this, so in, in the Middle East, in India, uh, so, uh, Southeast Asia, Vietnam. So go and find, identify the work that is happening um, and be uh, 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 invest in um, the training, the development, the support of uh, the work that is present and then see healthy reproducing work. So it'd be, like I said, it's much easier for somebody in, um, in the context to, to cross over the, the few cultural barriers that they have um, to right. reproduce and to reach and engage their context. So that's, that's the model, the approach that we take. Um, it's, it's much more about identifying um, uh, church planters, assessing them, uh, training them, and then supporting them. Um, and, uh, and, and the work that we're doing in terms of translating resources, um, creating uh, leadership development pipelines. So next week I'll be working with some, some of our contacts in Nepal and in Vietnam to develop an uh, indigenous leadership development pipeline for church planters in that region. We've got work happening in similar contexts in Thailand. We've got some really exciting things happening in Japan, one of the hardest to reach nation in many ways in terms of um, uh, Christianity. Uh, but we do have reproducing church planting churches led by Japanese believers. Um, oh, cool. Japanese culture, um, churches, uh, but, uh, uh, but there's a partnership with churches coming alongside them to help them reproduce in their own context. Mm. So, so you're right. It's, it's still the same strategy, but it's, there's an intentionality on your guys' part to say, Hey, we recognize this problem and we are still going to continue our pursuit of the strategy that we're pursuing, where we're investing in local leaders, we're investing in national pastors to, who then don't have that mm -hmm. uh, quite as big of a cultural gap that they need to jump in order to reach their neighbor culture. Yep. like we might have here in the States or whatever other context is trying to reach yep. A, yep. A, another culture. Yep. And like I said, it's not the only um, response, but it's a response. And it is, I think um, for us, that's, that's the work that we do. And, and, and we've seen fruit from it um, globally. And, and, you know, and so just yesterday I was talking to one of our uh, uh, leaders up in the North of Brazil, who is um, a Brazilian guy working in a pretty poor area of northern brazil and he's mm -hmm. just going into the interior of the amazon amazonian uh, basin area and he's going in on a you know uh, uh, boat ride into inaccessible communities but he's planting churches there um, mm -hmm. we're equipping him and supporting him to do the work of engaging um the unreached and unengaged in his own um uh, part of brazil wow that's cool well and, and that segues into my next question most of our audience knows that we are a ministry passionate about storytelling and testimony. Um, how does story and testimony play a role in Acts 29 
either within your strategies or your marketing um, and or your marketing efforts um, or maybe even within your disciple making models like what is what is the mm-hmm. do you see as the benefit of story and storytelling within what you guys are yeah. doing yeah i mean story is story is, is critical it's foundational to the work that we do both telling our own stories um, of the work that's getting done um, and telling the story of what, what the Lord's doing um, all around the world in some some remote and far off and hard to reach places around the world. So just telling those stories, encouraging the church globally with other global stories. And so we want mm. churches in South Africa to be encouraged by the work that's happening in Japan and churches in Japan to be encouraged by the work that's happening in, in Paris um, and churches in, in Scotland encouraged by the work that's happening in Detroit michigan and so telling the stories of a global church a, a diverse network of churches that are shared the, the common values um theologically aligned and um missionally driven uh, to reproduce gospel preaching churches globally and so th- those stories help us encourage each other for the work that we're called to where we're at and so that mm. the story aspect is so so helpful and then just recognizing that everybody has a story so when i'm training a church planter in uh, Zimbabwe, um, I've got to know his story. You know, I, mm. I can't effectively uh, train and equip him to plant a church unless I know the, his story and the story of his community and the story of the people he's trying to reach. And so story helps us also in, in the work that we're doing to see healthy churches being planted. Mm. Yeah, my One of my favorite stories in, in scripture comes to mind. The, the man possessed by legion Mm. and jesus he has this interaction with jesus uh jesus transforms his life drives the demon out into the pigs right and they and and the man says to jesus like i want to follow you i want to be your disciple and jesus tells him no i want Mm. you to go back into your community and testify of what you've seen here today so it's this short interaction like maybe he spends an afternoon with jesus but nothing more than that Mm. and he go, Jesus tells him to go and testify of what you've seen here today. And so all the man really knows about this guy is probably he's the Messiah. His name's Jesus. And all I can tell you is he transformed my life. He radically transformed my life. Mm-hmm. And so he goes out into his community and begins to testify of what he, God has done in his life. And scripture tells us the next, the next time that Jesus and the disciples come through that community is the feeding of the 4,000. And so through that single man's story, that one interaction with Jesus and him testifying in his community, a community that knew this man to be possessed, they knew and recognized him as the guy that broke chains and couldn't be uh, held down and, and was, con- was possessed his entire life. Like that's all this community knew about him. And when he comes back being transformed, he testifies of this Messiah, this Jesus that transformed my life. And mm-hmm. the next time... Jesus and the disciples come through is the feeding of the 4,000. So now there's 4,000 men plus their, their families who are ready to hear the gospel because of this man's story and testimony. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we think about story and storytelling and the significance and, and power of it, especially within a, 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 a church planting context, like story and testimony of what God has done in our life um, can transform life. It can prepare people to hear the gospel. It can prepare people to hear something that they might not be willing to hear otherwise. And so, um, man, I, we just see so much 
so many ramifications and implications for storytelling. Yeah. Not just, I think we tend to, in the ministry space to think about storytelling only within the context of our marketing efforts. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. man, there's so much more value in it for his glory, for the edification of the church, for outreach opportunities, for mm-hmm. church planting, disciple making within our disciple making models, like sharing our testimony mm. gives gives way into reaching people and, and opening up relationships and opportunities to build relationship like not much else does. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah that just came to mind. That, um, I actually think that, um, that culturally there's certain cultures that more naturally are storytelling cultures. And so, oh, yeah. Um, so, and I think that's, so even within the Western world in, in uh, North America, if, if if you're doing ministry in a poor community in an area of concentrated poverty, people tell their stories all day long. They mm-hmm. they tell their stories. Their their story is really valuable. It's really important to them. It's what defines them, um, who they are. Yeah. When you come out of that kind of area of poverty and you go into more of a suburban middle class intellectual culture, what defines them is what they do, not rather mm-hmm. than what their story is. So the first question you ask is, "Hey, what's your name and what do you do?" We make assessments and judgments about each other based on what school they went to or what, what job they do, what, what title they have. And rarely do you get to know a person's story. Do you get to know, mm. um, you know their background, where they grew up, what their struggles are, what their challenges have been? Because their life hasn't been defined necessarily by challenge and struggle. It's more defined by um, accomplishments and achievements and accolades along the way. Um, and I think that's that makes it challenging, I think more so in uh, more kind of Northern Hemisphere or Western context where we just don't naturally tell our stories. Um, uh, we don't do that well. But if but there are places in the world you can go to, in certain parts of our own cities that you can go to, where people quickly tell their stories, and the opportunity we have to engage in terms of ministry in those contexts are all around us, uh, because people have a story to tell. And if you just sit down and just listen to a story, we can engage all day long. Mm, that's so good. It's so good. So in light of that, can you share some stories, uh, maybe a story or two, just for the sake of time, of of your time working with Acts 29 that have that's really been exciting as you've seen God work and and transform life and plant churches all over the all over the world? Uh yeah. So uh one of my great uh encouragements has been working with a church planter in Cape Town, a guy named Mario, who's planting in one of the poorest communities in Cape Town. So I've been there a few times. I stayed with him a couple months ago. Um, and just a community devastated by gang violence, drugs, mm. um, people trafficking. And uh, he's he came out of uh, the prosperity gospel. So when we first met him, he was really coming out of that prosperity gospel. Where And again, in, in poor communities, um, that's that's all people know. Um, right. That's the, in many, many sense, that's, that's the only thing they've ever heard. And so... There's difference between a, 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 a heretic and, and a false teacher is teaching something false because he doesn't know the truth yet. Um, he's not a heretic. And so we just need to teach him the truth. So that, that was Mario. He kind of came out of that world, but then he embraced the, the gospel and said, um, he himself said, teaching and preaching the true gospel and, um, and seeing this church come alive in this community where he is discipling people, um, holding, you know, seeing life transformation. Uh, so, so now Mario is involved in... Um, you know, negotiating peace between gangs. He's involved in oh, wow. uh, 
um, he's, 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 been, he's getting access into some of the places where even the police wouldn't get access to. Um, and mm. he's there as a gospel witness and a gospel presence. And he's seeing people in his church coming out of um, uh, the, that gang culture and that, that life of violence in his community. So being in the middle of it, uh, this, this place of light in the midst of such darkness um, all around him. And, um, and that really being done uh, because this is a man who's from that community, who's living there, who, whose theology has is, is been transformed as he's embraced uh, the true gospel and started teaching it and preaching it. And so that's mm. one of my favorite stories is Mario. There's a few, there's so many others. There's a similar story of Gabriel up in Liberia who came out of uh, kind of a child soldier, civil war, war torn. Um, mm. uh, you know, most of the children who grew up in Liberia grew up hooked on drugs and alcohol because that's how the army got them to go to fight and go to war. And now you've got this whole generation of, uh, of, of people in that country who have been devastated, not just by war, but also by, the abuse that was perpetrated against them. Um, and and again, uh, Gabriel now preaching true gospel, teaching the Bible, and um, and seeing his church come alive in his community, and then us getting contacted by other uh, pastors in Liberia who the whole time have been preaching a false gospel and now coming to us saying, teach us this gospel, teach us this mm. message that this, our brother Gabriel is now preaching. We've never heard this before. And so just the witness of a true church to the other false churches in the neighborhood um, or in the vicinity as well. It's really powerful. Well, it's cool to see excitement around that and a desire and thirst for, for truth and to see mm. like hearts that want to know. And yeah, I mean, that's not to say there aren't plenty of opposition to it and, right, right. Uh, and the challenges along the way. Uh, but I think when, those who are truly converted and truly know and love Jesus, they they recognize the truth when they hear it, um, mm. and and they do they are, they are drawn to it, uh, and uh, and I think that's what we see again and again. Mm. That's cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Um, that's about all the time we have. I want to make sure I'm respectful of your time, especially as you and I had some technical difficulties. <laughs> we started this episode, but how can people get a hold of you uh, if they want to learn more about Acts Twenty Nine? really easy. So my, I have a really long name, uh, but you can email me just by my initials, msd at x29.com. Oh, that's nice and easy. All right, cool. Um, can I pray for you, Matthew, as we wrap up today? Yeah, thanks. Father, I just lift up Matthew and the leadership team at Acts 29 and pray for this, uh, this amazing organization that you would continue to go before them, lead and guide them and um, help them to continue to plant churches in your name. Uh, thank you for their willingness to go and to um, uh, be obedient to your call um, to make disciples of all nations. Lord, we love you so much. And thank you that we get to be a part of this redemptive work, that we get to be a part of your redemptive story that you're telling. Lord, you didn't need us. Um, you could have done it all on your own, but you've chosen to do that work with and through us and your church. And we thank you for that. And Thank you for Acts 29 and, and all the incredible stuff that they're doing in obedience to you and your call. Lord, I lift up Matthew and um, pray that you would bless him and his family and um, uh, all the work that he's doing in this um, incredible ministry, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew, thanks so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, Thank you. We'll be, in, we'll be in touch. Absolutely. Thanks for doing this. Yep. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.